Well, uh, welcome in, and thanks for being the church. Uh, thanks for bringing it into uh, this worship uh, space. Uh, those who are worshiping online, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. For those who are worshiping uh, in person, uh, it's really great to see you as well. Uh, I just want to um, give those who are worshiping online just a quick second to check in with those around you. If you could just share uh, in your chat box on YouTube, if you could just share one thing, what do you think is the most essential quality necessary for a spiritual leader? Like you want to be a spiritual leader, someone used by God, uh, what would you say is the most important uh, essential characteristic or quality of such a person. And then for, for those who are worshiping in person, as you reflect upon that, can you just take a, a minute, first thing that comes to your mind, can you just share with someone next to you, what's one thing, most important thing, or one of the most important things a spiritual leader ought to have, quality, characteristic, okay? Go for it for about 15 seconds, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, yeah. So if you need to turn, some of you are sitting by yourself, you could do that. Right. Well, let's come back together. Um, <laughs> I heard someone say funny. Uh, spiritual leaders should be funny. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, last week at our Alpha service, well, at both of our services for that matter, we uh, began this kind of new teaching series uh, that's going to end today about how God is looking for leaders to rise up into this space in, in history in order to live out God's purposes. And we're looking for, He's looking for people like that. Um, how uh, by looking at the life of Moses as he transitioned that, that and passed that mantle of leadership to Joshua, how it was for that moment in time that God had raised Joshua uh, for, that, for that stage, for that purpose, for that time, and how um, the Lord God might be doing that within our lives as well. At our Alpha service last week, there was a, a young man, he was a teenager, uh, doesn't go to Harvest, but he came last week because he was here for a baseball tournament. And so um, after that, that tournament was done, I met up with, with him for, for dinner, and uh, I just asked him, hey, how was, uh, how'd the baseball tournament go? How was everything? And he said, um, well, he, here's how it went. We're, this is him talking. We're the uh, number, this is the under 15 World Series of Baseball. He said, we're the number five team in the country. We're playing against the number three team in the country. And so they're, they're favored to beat us. And the whole game, they're winning. It was three to one. We got to the last inning and we're the home team. So we have the last at bat. We're losing three to one. We get uh, one run in. So it's now three to two. We got a couple guys on base and then it's two out. So basically, if you don't know it, much about baseball, um, this last batter, it's do or die. If he gets out, they lose a the game. If he gets a hit, they win the game. And so as he went up to bat, um, this guy I'm talking to says, yells at him, hey, he said, hey, you were made for this moment. <laughs> That's what he said to him. You're made for this moment. So I'm all excited. So I was like, so, so what happened? What happened? What happened? Uh, he said he hits the ball. It goes off of the left field wall for a double two-run score, and we ended up winning the game. And I was like, yes. I was so excited. I was like, praise the Lord. This is so great. I thought about that for for. Um, maybe about a week or so, but I thought about it intermittently. What's the difference between a person who stands up to bat in that moment, you were made for this moment, and he hits a game-winning ball off of the wall. What's the difference between that kind of a person and another person who goes up there, someone says, you're made for this moment, but he strikes out or hits a meat ground ball, weak ground ball, the pitcher gets out, they lose the game, and he goes back to the dugout. What's the difference between someone who rises up in that moment and someone who steps up in that moment but goes back to their dugout having not fulfilled the purpose that he thought he was made for in that moment? What's the difference? Here's, and as I reflect upon 
years of, of Christian living. Here's what I want to, here's what I want to communicate, it. and maybe I, I didn't communicate that fully last week, but I want to kind of uh, cover my tracks here. What I'm not saying is, hey, guys, because you're here in this moment and because you're alive and there are needs within our world, you need to step up into this position, into this void, into this vacuum. That's not what I'm saying. Because for as many people who someone says you're made for this moment, he could grab a bat, she could grab a bat, step up to the plate and strike out. What I'm not saying is you just need to step up. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a poor theology of leadership, of spirituality that has often been communicated to people. Hey, guys, hey, you're a senior in high school. You got to step up and lead our youth ministry. Hey, guys, you're, a, you're in eighth grade now. You got to step up. It's never been about stepping up for the people of God. It's always been about you can only step up if first you have been growing up and you can come to that place where when you step up, you don't fail and step back down and never decide to pick up a bat again. Does that make sense? It's not about stepping up. It's about something that God is doing that allows you when you do step up to be ready for that moment in time. In other words, as we talk about the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua, from somebody to you potentially... What I want to communicate and to be clear on is that for the entirety of the time that Moses was in leadership, God was preparing Joshua and Joshua was actively involved in certain things that were molding him to be the man so that when Moses died, God could say to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, you're the man now. Here's the land, take my hand and make a stand because this is your territory. All of these things, because God had been preparing him for that, it wasn't just out of the blue, out of thin air, in a vacuum, this dude named Joshua rises up. What was it that God was doing in Joshua? What was it that Joshua was doing to lead him so that in that moment, God could say, you were made for this point in time, and more importantly for us, what is it that God maybe has been doing in your life so that you could say this is your moment? Or what can God ask you to do now so that when the moment comes and your name is called and the bat is placed in your hands, you could rise up and you can claim what is God's inheritance for you and for the people of God for your time? What is it that God did in Joshua and how can he be preparing you and how can you prepare in order to be the best vessel used by God for His purposes in our day. This is what we want to look at today. What we want to do is, uh, I'm going to look at several passages in Scripture, kind of flashback, okay? Last week, we got to the, to the precipice of the promised land, the land of Canaan, where God said, okay, here you are, you're made for more, this is what you're made for. We want to backtrack a little bit today and look at three passages where we're introduced to Joshua before he ever gets to the foot of the promised land and see what God was doing and see what Joshua was doing and see how Joshua lived in order that he might be ready for that moment in time and to see what that means for us. Okay, first passage we're going to look at <clears throat> comes to us from uh, Exodus, chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to read verses uh, 7 through 11. Okay, Exodus 33, <clears throat> we're going to read verses 7 through 11 here. And then we're going to look at the first thing, and then we'll look at a couple other passages to see the making of a generational leader, a spiritual leader. Verse 7, chapter 33, the Word of God. 
Now Moses, okay, remember, he's the leader of Israel. He's the one that we will see will soon pass away and give leadership and baton to Joshua. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is God's word. Okay, what does it mean? What does it, what, what does it take? What is the making of a leader? How does God prepare us to be the people who will inherit the land? Here's the first thing that we can do, that Joshua did, that we can do, is cultivate an unusual hunger for God. There was an unusual kind of hunger in God and, and, and for, for God in Joshua. Maybe you can see this in, in, in kind of tears. You can see this in, in gradations here. What's happening is as the Israelites wander through the wilderness in their 40-year 40 40 foray through the desert to get to the promised land, God would have a tent set up called the Tent of Meeting. And there, anybody who wanted to meet with God, right? You want to encounter God, you want to get in the presence of God, you want to have your devotional time, you want to have your quiet time, you want to pray to God, you want to worship Him, you want to get intimate with God, there would be a tent set up where you would break away from the rest of the million people of Israel and you'd go into that tent and you'd just seek the face of God. And it says in uh, the middle of verse 7, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go there, verse uh, 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent... All the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses as he entered the tent. In other words, here's the spiritual condition of the people of God. There were the people of God, the children of the promise, those who had seen the mighty deliverance of God, had taken them through uh, the difficult times of slavery, and they were marked for a purpose. And so a tent would be set up where anyone who wanted to encounter God would go there, but what the writer of Exodus, Moses, says is it appears that the main person going out there was Moses. In fact, whenever he would go out there, everyone else would get excited. Whenever he'd go out, people would stand and they would watch Moses. They would say, go Moses, go Moses, get your blessing, get your game, go Moses. And they, they'd be really excited for what Moses was doing. Moses is encountering God. Yes, he's going to come back and he's going to tell us what God said. And they would rise. And verse 9, as Moses went in, God's presence would come down and the pillar of cloud would hang out there. God speaks with Moses. Verse 10, they see that, the people see it, and they would stand and worship at the entrance of their tents. In other, in other words, as Moses was getting intimate with God, it says in verse 11, face-to-face -face talking with God, the people of God were getting their worship on from a distance saying, this is as close to God as we will get. And the sad reality of the people of God in our day is that for some of us, this is as close to God as you will get. 
I will stand and worship God as long as our praise leaders are leading us. I will stand and worship God and hear from God as long as DL is talking to us. This is as close to God as some of us will get. We will not go that extra mile into the tent of meeting so that we could encounter God face to face with Him because we're okay being okay, being an arm's length away from God when intimacy with God is available to us. You who want to be used by God, may I ask of you, do you hunger for the presence of God? Not on Sunday. This ought not be your only time of worship, nor ought this be your best time of worship. We ought to be getting face-to-face with God if we want to be used by Him. House church shepherds, youth ministry teachers, Sunday school teachers, servants of God, praise leaders, you need to be getting into a face-to-face encounter with God if you want to be used by Him because human talent and energy can get us so far, but we will never be useful for God at an eternal level unless we are getting face-to-face with our God. The people of God were okay just saying, Moses, you get your intimacy on, and then you come back and you tell us what God said to you, but they never got close enough with God. But there was one who was different. As Moses went in and he got face to face with God, it says, okay, he's getting his, he's getting his, he's getting his, and then he says, all right, Joshua, it's time for us to go back to the camp. Look at what it says in verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This young man who God would say, you're going to take the people of God into the promised land. You're going to have to do the impossible, Joshua. What everyone else thinks is impossible, I'm going to ask you to do it. Why? Because you've seen what it is to get into my presence. Because you've known when I say my presence will go with you, that was not an unfamiliar place for you. You knew what it was, the greatness and the sweetness and the beauty and the joy of being in my presence. You experienced that and when I gave that promise, that's all you'll have to go with, that was enough for you. ...of his presence, that that would be enough for you in the face of the impossible situations that serving God will bring before you. Is his presence enough? I I spoke with several people this week, high schoolers, uh, single people, married people, who said, you know what, D.L., that message, thank you for for sharing that. I really want to be used by God. I want to be his person. I want to be his man. I want to be his woman. Okay, here's where we start. It's not about having a desire and having a skill set that people say, you know what, you're really gifted in this area. It begins here with having this unusual kind of hunger for God. You want to be used by God in unusual ways, then there's got to be the sense in which you get into His presence and say, I want to linger. Even though everyone else stops, I want to be not only unflinching in my time with God, not only uncompromising in my time with God, I want to be uncommon in my hunger for God. Is that your desire Man of God, woman of God who wants to be used by God in this way. Because this is where it starts. It begins with God. Any man or woman 
who's going to be called to stand in front of people who does not want to shrink in the face of fear needs to be in the presence of God because you will not fear any man or woman if you found yourself in confronted with the fear of God. You will not bow before man or woman if you're constantly bowing before kneeling before the presence of your God. That's where you find strength in order to face the challenges that confront you as a man or woman being used by God. Is there a hunger in your heart for God? Is there an unusual kind of hunger in your heart for God? Because such are the people that God eventually uses for His purposes. All it takes Okay, all it takes is you tasting and seeing the goodness of God. That's why Psalm 34, the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8, he says, oh, that you would just taste and see that the Lord is good. Because if you taste and see that the Lord is good, then you cannot go back to not having the presence of God. Man, I want this kind of hunger for God. I've tasted of this kind of goodness of God. I've seen what it is to hunger for God in this way. But a lot of times life gets crazy and life gets busy and life gets caught up and, 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 and you come into the church to study about God or to do the work of God or to minister to God or to serve God. And I know how easy it is to lose this sense of longing for God himself. I want this desire for my own self and I want this for you. That we'd be a people who just long for Jesus, long for God's presence in this way. One taste of the beauty of God. See, I think think some of us, a lot of us want that, don't we? But I want to, to get into God. I want to spend three hours. I want to spend five hours with God. I want that, but I just, I just can't. I don't know how to do it. One of the things that I was reading this week is, I thought about people who, who, who hunger, like who have this like strange hunger. And, and so I was thinking about these people who, who enter these competitive eating competitions, uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest or Krispy Kreme Donut Eating Contest. I'm like, what is it? Like, how do, you, how do you eat 75 hot dogs in like 15 minutes? Like, how do you do that? Like, that's insane. It's nasty. But, but there are people who do that, and, and so they, I was reading on the different things that they do, and one guy, Kobayashi, he eats these hot dogs, but he still has a six-pack. He's weird. He says, I drink a lot of water. That's how my stomach expands. I don't expand it by, by eating food. I drink water, and my stomach expands. That's why I can still have a six-pack and eat 75 hot dogs in 15 minutes. But I don't know how many minutes he does it in, but there's this, this one guy. He says, the, to, my secret is drinking lots of caffeine frequently because you know caffeine is a diuretic. It makes you go to the bathroom. And so he says, I drink a lot of caffeine and I, I sit on my throne a lot. And so that's how I have, have space in my stomach. That's what he says. I thought about how, man, when you get rid of the excess space in your stomach that is occupied by one thing, it creates space in you to hunger for another thing. Some of you have this desire Some of us have this desire to hunger for more of God, but for whatever reason, our hunger is capped and is limited. By what? Because our hearts are hungry for other things, and our hearts are filled with other things. 
We need to drink caffeine in order to eject these things out of us so that there can be desire for God within our own hearts. What are some of these things? Well, maybe um, whatever it is that you spend most of your time thinking about or most of your time doing, these are things that are going to rob you of your hunger for God. I'm not talking about work or school, uh, but maybe it's a relationship, a friend. Maybe it's a, a hobby. Maybe it's a side hustle that you've got that's taken up your excess time and energy. Maybe something that you've picked up throughout this pandemic and where you thought, oh my gosh, I've got all this time I can spend with God. Now all this time is going to something other than God. Can I tell you what spiritual caffeine looks like? It's very simple. It's a discipline called fasting. Wait. When, when you want to get hungry for God, we fast, and oftentimes it's food that we fast, but maybe there's something else in your life that you need to fast from. If your mind is constantly on, if there's an app that you're constantly checking, if there's a website you're constantly looking at, if there's a certain thing you're constantly Googling, whatever those things may be, it's almost certain that that thing is robbing you of hunger for God. What would it look like to fast? And this week, as Josiah said, we're fasting. Some of you have never done this before. Some of you think, well, that's not for me. Can I challenge you? If you're a person who wants to hunger for God, let's not be ordinary in your relationship with God. After 4 o'clock fasting, whatever those things are, and using that time as you get into the presence of God to say, Lord, I want to hunger for your presence. Maybe it's food as your way of saying, hey, I, I want to get serious with God. Not that you earn anything from God, but it's your way of saying, Lord, I'm laying down. I bring nothing before you but what you've given to me. We're saying that, right? Do something in me in the pressing and the crushing. Bring new wine. If there's going to be new wine, then there's got to be new practices in your life. You understand this? You can't hope for new wine while doing the same old thing every day and just come in and close your eyes a little bit tighter and sing a little bit deeper, have a little bit more emotion. Do bring out new wine. I mean, it's not going to change unless you do something new in your life. There was this hunger within Joshua that said, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be unflinching in my desire. I want to be unusual in my desire for God. And God said, that's the kind of person that I will do unusual things through. God wants to do that in your life. There's no limits to what God can do through you if you would begin and say, God, I want to get hungry for you. You know what? That's one of the reasons why I know that God is going to use someone like Josiah in great ways is because he doesn't just come and serve God. He gets into the presence of God. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to love Jesus. He wants to fall in love with him more and more. You will not do anything good for God unless you are abiding in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. But guys, if you get connected to Jesus, there's no limits to what God can do through your life. No limits to what he can do. That God would raise up people in our church who are hungry for God in an unusual way that you would rise up to lead your generation for the glory of God. The first thing, cultivate this unusual hunger for God. Second thing that we see, second thing that we see, Here's what Joshua did. Here's what we need to do. Hang out with people that you want to become like. Okay, who are the spiritual 
heroes in your life that you want to become like, you got to think about and have an audit over who you're spending time with because you will become like the people you hang out with. Let's look at, um, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 34. Um, we're going to read verse, verse 9 in, in just a second. But I did a quick search in my Bible, and I found uh, 27 times in the book of well, in the first few books of the Bible, before Joshua rises up in Joshua chapter 1 to be the leader of Israel, 27 times where Joshua's name is mentioned. And I should have, I, I should have fact-checked this, but I think 25 of those times, Joshua is with one of two people. His, his name is mentioned with or constantly associated with or with one of two people. One was Moses, the great leader of Israel, and the other was a man named Caleb, one of his peers who were two. These two were two of the 12 people who were sent to scope out the promised land and to come back with a report to the people of God and to Moses, can we take this land? Ten of the people said, no, it's impossible, we can't do it. But there was Joshua, and there was Caleb, the only two who brought this minority report that said, by the power of God, we can do this. But you see, Joshua, the 25 out of 27 times he's mentioned before he becomes this leader of Israel, he's hanging out with either Moses or he's hanging out with Caleb. You know, people say things like, you will become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. See, Joshua was very intentional about who he hung out with because he knew that he was going to become like these kinds of people. Okay, some of you are wondering, why is it that everything seems to be going well? I'm desiring God, I'm hungering for God, I've been walking with God, I've been doing all of these things for God, but why am I still immature spiritually, or why am I immature socially, or whatever it is, reason, place you find yourself being immature? Can I ask you to just do a quick audit of your relationships? Like, who are you spending your time with? If you're always spending your time with negative Nancy or critical Christine, then you're going to end up being like somebody like that. Okay, you got to think about who you're spending time with if you want to rise to become the person that God has called you to be. Uh, obviously, there's a missional aspect to the way that we live, and we need to constantly be spending time with people who don't know the Lord. Uh, we've got to constantly, that's how we fulfill the Great Commission. But I'm not talking about our missional responsibility. I'm talking about as you think about who do I want to become, and I'm talking about being intentional about your relationships. If you really want to be set apart for the work of God, for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. You have to think about who are the people in your life that you want to spend time with. Joshua was constantly hungering. As much as he hungered for the presence of God, he was constantly, even at, the, at a young age, he was longing to be connected with people uh, who would shape him and mold him and help him. And here's one of the things that it says he did with Moses. It says in, in Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, it says, now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. One of the things that we see is that when Joshua got with Moses, 
he was constantly receiving the prayers of anointing in order that he would take this mantle of leadership. Who are the people that you're asking to pray for you? In the book of James, it says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Do you long to be the recipient of the prayers of spiritual heroes, leaders who will shape you into becoming? When I was, when I was growing as a Christian, I gave my life to Christ my freshman year, at the end of my first year in college. After that, it was like, man, whoever, to me, they, they love Jesus. They follow Jesus. They're sold out for Jesus. And those people like that. I just want to get around them. I just want to get around them. And I would ask them, hey, can you just pray for me? Can you just, can you just tell them? I would ask them questions. And, and just like this, this annoying fly. But I was so wanting to be around people like that in order that they would grow and they would rub off on me so that I might gain something of what they had because I wanted to love Jesus like they did. My pastors, I would hang around with them and I would ask them, can, can, can we go eat lunch together? Can we go eat dinner together? And I would just ask them questions and, and say, how do you grow? How do you love Jesus? What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to give everything for the Lord? I just wanted to get around people like that. And in time, I began to look a little bit more like those people as I followed them because they were following Jesus. As I wanted to be used by God, I, I, I said, God, uh, I, wanna, I want to, to meet people who are sold out for Jesus. And at, at that point, it was like people who, whom God was using. If I, if I saw, if I heard a preacher that I thought, man, that pastor is amazing, that preacher is awesome, I would just go up to them afterwards and say, hey, I, I want to become a great preacher like you. Would you, can you pray for me? I want, uh, I don't just think you're a good preacher. I just feel like God's anointing is on you. Would you pray for me? Because I see in the Bible when, when people lay hands on, on other folks that, that the anointing of God comes over them and I want to receive what, what you have. And so like whenever I would see I'm not beyond above name droppings, but, but I'm not going to do it now. But whenever I'd see people like that, I'd just say, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? And I believe that so much of, of, of what God did in, in shaping me was in me just, I just wanted to be a leech for these people. I, I still do. I still want to, man, I just want to receive what people uh, have to give. And, and so sometimes it'll be like in, in, in these weird moments where someone is like, they're about to leave or about to go to the bathroom. I, I remember asking one person, there was a line of people waiting to be prayed for and, then, and, and by this one guy, and he got up to go to the bathroom. I followed him in the bathroom. I said, hey, can you just pray for me here so I don't have to wait in line? And he laughed at me and said, I can't do that. You can wait in line. But, but like, I, just, I just wanted that. I just want to be, just put your hands on me and I just want to receive. I, this one time I was I was living in, in, in Virginia, and, and Matt Redmond, this, this like worship leader, he was, uh, he was coming in, into, into town to Richmond, Virginia, and he was leading a night of worship. He was living in England at the time. He was at a church called Soul Survivor. They had another band called Delirious who was leading worship and, and just putting out, a, did you feel the mountains tremble, all of these like, awesome things that, uh, that were on their, on their label. And then their pastor was coming, and they would lead a night of worship, and Pastor Mike Pilavachi would, would preach, and then... Um, and then that would be the night. So I didn't know anything about this pastor. I just knew that if they've got a worship team that's like changing the world, then that pastor's got to be pretty amazing. And so I remember being in that place, and I said that the two things I want is I want to worship when Matt Redman is leading praise, and two, at the end, I, I, I want to ask that pastor to pray for me. And so we're worshiping God, and, and uh, he preaches a message. I forget. I don't know what he talked about. And then at the end, he was like, all right, we're going to um, just have some time of, of singing and, and, and praising. And then uh, he had this time where he said, we're, we're just going to go around, and, and we have a particular burden to pray for worship leaders who are here tonight. 
And so he said, if you're a worship, and this is like big auditorium, he's like, if you're a worship leader, I just want you to, to step out into the aisles so that we can pray for you. So I was like, dude, this is like, this is a golden opportunity to have this pastor pray for me. But then I had this like wrestling in my mind. I was like, I'm not like really a worship leader. And, and if, if I think like, yeah, what he's talking about is people who, who like, like Jane or like Brian or like Sung or, you know, those guys who stand up there and, and, and lead worship. That's who he's talking about. But I reason to myself, but, but worship is like about all of life. And, and I lead people in worshiping in all of life in, in, in some ways, at least one person. So I could, I could consider myself a worship leader. So I went out to that group of people and there's like tons of people. And, and as we're waiting for uh, him to come around and pray for each of us, uh, we're singing songs as the band is leading. Praise leaders are, are leading us and we're singing and and all of these people are singing like so beautifully and, and I'm like so hungry to meet with the Lord and so hungry to receive what God has and I'm singing all loud and everything and, and I'm completely like out of, out of touch with what's going on because everyone else is like singing like there's American Idol people out there and I'm just me tone deaf singing like yelling really loud and, and people are like looking at me like who is this guy? That guy can't be a worship leader but, but I'm there because I want to, I want to, I just want to get a, 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 a prayer of anointing from, from this pastor. And so he's going around and he's praying for people. And uh, I don't know if you've been at retreats where people are going around praying for people, but you're like waiting and you're waiting. And so sometimes like you, you look around and see, but you got to act like you're, I mean, you're still praying, but you want to know like how much longer do I have to pray? I'm getting kind of tired of praying. So he's coming around and his voice is getting louder and louder. I'm like, yes, he's getting nearer. I can hear him. He's the person next to me. And so I'm just like waiting. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And the next thing I know, he's like at the next person or he's like down the other side of me. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what happened? And I opened my eyes and he had skipped over me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, this is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. I could have sworn he was right here. Now he's over there. And I was like, what's going on? And, and then in my heart, I started feeling guilty. I started feeling like, oh no, maybe he knew that I'm not like a real worship leader. Like maybe he knew that I was like a phony worship leader and so he didn't want to pray for phony people and so he skipped over me. And so I was like feeling all bad and I was like confessing my sins to God and repenting as I'm singing and went back to my seat and I was like kind of dejected. But I was like, man, but I really, I just, I don't think God wants to, I don't think God dishonors that desire, right? That I just wanted to, to be prayed for. I, wanted, I want to be used by God. And so when that, that uh, thing was over and they did the closing prayer and people went up and they're taking pictures and getting signed autographs from, from Matt Redman. I just went up to the pastor and I was like, hey, um, I just want to thank you for, for tonight. Um, I just wondered if, if you could pray for me. Like just, I want to be used by God in the ways that you are. I just wonder if you could pray for me. And I, man, I... I know, like now I know, like it's tiring. It's not easy leading nights like that, praying for all these people. Um, but he looked at me and, and for like a second he was quiet and then this like huge smile came over this big man and he's like, I would love to pray for you. And he prayed for me and it was like such a heart-touching prayer. He's just like, Lord, use this man. He wants, to, he wants to be used. Like he has that desire to be used by you. Like would you bless him? And I remember going back home that night just feeling so full of this sense of, man, God's going to, God wants to use my life. I want to be used by God. And I thought about like how, like I didn't think about it at the moment, but I think about it now, like how probably annoying I must have been to a lot of these people. Like they, 
like who goes to people in the bathroom and says, can you pray for me? And, and at the end of a long night when, he, when he's tired, can you pray for me? But, but when, I, when I read through the Bible, especially like in, in people who Jesus encounters and where Jesus is like walking and then he like stops somewhere, like what stops Jesus? As I read passages of people like a blind man named Bartimaeus and he's shouting at Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Man, that guy was annoying, so, so annoying to the, point that, to, the, to the point that all of the disciples were like, be quiet, nobody wants you. He doesn't want to talk to you. But Jesus stops and he says, what do you want? It's, it's, it's children, it's children who wanted to come to Jesus, but the disciples said, don't, don't let these children bother the teacher. But it was Jesus who said, let these children come unto me. Everyone else thought they were annoying, but Jesus didn't think they were annoying. Jesus saw it as a sign of faith. He saw it as a sign of hunger. A, a, a woman from, from Canaan, a Canaanite woman, someone from the land of the promise, but who are enemies of the people of God. She comes, but she had faith in Jesus. And she said, Jesus, can you come and can you heal me? Let the crumbs that fall from the table of Jesus fall to the dog so that I might get a healing. And Jesus stops. When other people think that's annoying, Jesus sees that as hunger, and Jesus sees that as faith, and Jesus stops for people like that. Because it shows that you're willing to, to, to break through and to go beyond and to go above and, and to be, go past what is, is proper. It's a woman who, who, who breaks an alabaster jar. You didn't need to break it. You just need to pour it. That's all you need to do. And, and, and the disciples are snorting indignantly. But Jesus says, stop, stop, stop. What she's done is beautiful to me. Do you understand? What you think is annoying moves the heart of God. So now when, when, when people say, hey, can you, can you pray for me? Can you, can you stop what you're doing? Man, I, sometimes I feel like, gosh, in the middle of what I'm doing and people come in and, and people say, I need you right now. I... I like sometimes I feel like, wow, that's, that's a distraction or that's annoying. God says, no, 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 no. People are not a distraction to your work. People are the work that you're called to. And I realize because I see so much of, of me in people who are hungry to be used by God. I say, I don't want to deny a hungry person food. People want to meet. They want to... They do discipleship, whatever it is. I don't want to deny a hungry person food. That to me is a debt of love that I owe to people who have stopped for me and given me the time of day because as a young person, I just wanted to be used by God and I wanted to hang out with people like that. They said, okay, can you drive me 15 hours to Toronto or can you drive to this retreat? Can you carry my bags? I said, I don't care whatever I need to do as long as I can get with people who will pray for me, who will show me what it is to follow Christ. I want to be in the presence of people like that. Joshua was a person like that. He was thoughtful and intentional about the kind of people he hung out with because he knew that the people he hangs out with are going to be the people that shape his destiny. And he said, I just want to be around the kind of people that I want to be like. Do you do that with the kind of people that you long to be like? Have you been doing that? Because if you do, then God is making a leader of you, making a generational changer out of you, making a world changer, a history maker from people who say, God, I want to be used by you and I will put myself in the path of people to spend time with those who can help me to be more than I can be on my own. That's the second thing that Joshua did here. 
And the second thing that God is calling us in the making of a leader like Joshua. And then the last thing, okay, the last thing Joshua did and the last thing we can do is to see impossibilities become reality by faith, okay? See impossibilities become reality by faith. I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 14, verses uh, uh, 7, verses 6 through 9. So again, here, before they ever leave the wilderness and get to the edge of the promised land, the spies are sent to scope out the land. And the majority report is, guys, we can't do this. They're fortified walls. They're gigantic people. There are fierce warriors. There's no way. Like, we would get slaughtered. We're not a fighting people. We're just a bunch of nomads wandering in the wilderness. All we've known is slavery. We don't know how to fight. We don't know how to do anything. We can't do it. These guys will eat us for lunch. Verse 6, there was a minority report. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. What happens when we get into the presence of God and we hang out with people who get into the presence of God is we begin to get new eyes by which we see things. Guys, eyes that see are everywhere, but eyes that look and have a vision of God are rare. Everybody can look and see, it's Canaan. They got all these people, they got these, these massive things. Everyone can look and see the problems. Every one of us can talk about what's wrong with 2020, this pandemic, this hurricanes, financial, all this. Every one of us can complain about how bad 2020 is, but do you see with eyes of faith what could be? Jesus doesn't call us, God doesn't call us to walk by sight. He says the righteous will live by faith and not by sight. Almost everybody in Israel, at least the 10, 10, 10 spies, said we can't do it. But look at how indignant, I mean, I don't know anyone who, if you've got a group of 12 people and you're talking about something and, and everybody comes up and they say, ah, oh, you know, we can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Two people are like, well, you know, I think we can. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. But, I mean, I've never torn my clothes in disagreement over something. But it says they tore their clothes. I don't know why they did this. I'm sure there was some logical explanation behind it. But that's how defiant they are against what everybody else sees. By faith, well, like, tearing their clothes. Like, who does that? Someone tell me why. Maybe Nathan can tell me it's a Jewish custom when you're two out of 12 and you disagree, you tear your... I don't know why they did that, but they did because there was this sense of no, this rebellion against what everybody else sees. God's going to do something. Everyone else sees problems. But they were fixated upon the promise that was given to them. I'll be with you. I'll go with you. This will be the land that was promised to you. I think back to Abraham. 
Like God said, I'm going to give you a nation. You become a great nation, give you a land. How long did Abraham have to wait? He had to wait decades for the fulfillment of that first promise, I'm going to give you a kid. Listen, some of us have been, have been giving up on the promises of God because it's been a year, it's been two years, it's been three years, it's been four years, you've been praying for your son. The Bible says there's a long haul picture of endurance that is necessary in order for us to claim the promises of God sometimes. Sometimes you pray, and the next day you wake up and you get it, but other times you get, we have to pray. For, there was a woman who'd been bleeding for 17 years, a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. The promise is there. The promise is there. One day it's going to be fulfilled. Don't give up on the promises because in the face of those things, you see problems. See, here's what Joshua did. He said, God gave us a promise that this land is going to be yours. He'd given that promise to Abraham, my ancestor in the faith, 500 years earlier, and God had given that promise. It hasn't come to fruition yet, but if God promised it, then one day it will. Okay, one day it will. Because here's what Joshua had seen. He had heard. He'd heard about, hey, we were slaves in Egypt, but by nothing that we did, by the work of God's miraculous hand alone, we were brought out of slavery. We were on the edge of the Red Sea, and there was, there, I mean, there's no way we could cross. We didn't have boats. We didn't have anything. But God miraculously led the people of God through. And just as miraculously, he closed it up on the Egyptians that were behind us. We saw that, guys. We saw that. Because God was leading us to the fulfillment of the promise that he'd given to us. He saw that. And he said, I'm not going to give up on that promise now. He'd seen God lead them in a pillar of cloud by day. By, by, by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he said, God was with us through the wilderness and he led us to the promised land. This is, I mean, think about the very definition. It's the promised land. It was the land that, that was promised. Will God not pull through for us now? Like, why would we give up on the promise now when he's led us through all of this and we're right here on the edge of it? Why would we give up on the promise now? Everyone else saw problems, but he was focused on the promise. And what he reckoned was that if God gave us a promise and problems arise, that those problems are an invitation for us to exercise faith in an unseen manner so that God could show up and do what we could not do on our own. Do you understand? Whenever challenges come, it's an invitation for you to rise into your destiny, for you to be who God made you to be. All they had was a promise and then a bunch of problems. But he said, in the face of those problems, his promise still stands. And I will exercise faith in the promise. All David had as a shepherd boy in the fields was one day this old man named Samuel put his hands on him and anointed him and said, one day you're going to be the king of Israel. He said, here I am. I'm a shepherd tending sheep and all my brothers are out fighting. And so he goes and there was this giant named Goliath. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? That problem that stood in the way of Israel and of David was an invitation for him to exercise a kind of faith that shifted him from being a mere young teenage shepherd boy to become the deliverer of Israel. Do you understand? The challenges in your life are not a denial of the promises of God. They're opportunities for God to show up to strengthen your faith for the time when you'll need it more. This was Peter. All he had was a terrible resume and a promise that Jesus said, upon this rock, your confession, your life, and people like you, I will build my church. 
but all he had was a series of failures. And then he's in a boat. He's scared to death. Jesus is out there, and there's a stormy sea. The shores of Galilee, I'm sorry, the seas of Galilee in the storm-soaked way that it was, was a problem to everybody else. But what Peter saw was if Jesus says, come, then that storm, those seas, those waves are an opportunity for me to see faith in a way that I haven't seen it before. And the problems gave way to the promises, and it made him into from a silly Galilean fisherman into becoming a water walker for the glory of God. Guys, there are promises that God has given to you, maybe personally to you, but throughout Scripture, there are countless promises, and some of us are about to give up on them because in the fulfillment, as we're waiting for the fulfillment of them, there are obstacles that have risen up in the path. These obstacles are an invitation to the faithful to exercise a new kind of faith. You feel like God is calling you to serve Him in faithful ways. All of a sudden, your parents come and they say, no, 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 I don't want you to serve God. Okay, this is not your time to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to abandon that dream. No, this is a time for you to exercise God-sized faith and say, Lord, mold me and make me and use this as a time of growing, a time of molding. All those little opportunities that Joshua had to exercise faith were strengthening for that moment in time where he looked out at the promised land and he said, man, by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the strength of God, we are to be strong and courageous because this is the land he's given to us. It's not up to you and me to figure out how God's promise will be fulfilled. It's up to you to cling to that promise and to follow Jesus. Listen, God didn't say, okay, Joshua, here's the promised land. Um, why don't you sit down and, and figure out how you're going to claim this, how a group of people who don't have any weapons are going to overtake these mighty people in a fortified city. Figure it out, Joshua. He didn't. He said, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to tell you. It's not going to make any sense. You're going to walk around these walls. You're going to blow the trumpet, and these walls are going to fall down. Okay, do you believe me? Do you believe me? I've led you thus far, okay? By faith, I've led you thus far. You've seen these things happen. You've seen these things happen. You've seen these things happen. This is the land I've promised to you, okay? One more time, can you exercise faith? Because if you do it again, then I will do it again. And he's saying the same thing to you today, saying the same thing to you today. There are giant slayers here. There are people who are going to walk on water here. They're going to people who are going to bring down the walls and lead your people, whether this be the promised land or be some foreign land where you're leading people to see the glory of God, the promised land of, of eternity. I mean, there are people that God is calling to serve Him. But He's not just saying, step up. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow into our destiny. And these challenges and these obstacles are an invitation for you to exercise a faith unlike anything that you've exercised before. And this is a time for God-sized faith, because this is a time for God-sized renewal and awakening in our world, in our day, and in our time, because God has always been the kind of a God for whom impossible is not part of His vocabulary. When everyone else said, that's impossible, and it was, the life of Jesus was a life of constant impossibilities. What do you, what do you mean, like, a child is going to be born to a virgin. What does that even mean? That's impossible. Who, who is this guy? Wasn't he 
the carpenter's son, like he's teaching with this kind of authority? That's impossible. Wait, isn't he from, from Galilee? Can anything good come out of Galilee? Like that's, that's impossible. Wait, isn't he the one from Nazareth, that backwoods place in Nazareth? Like what in the world? How, how is this even possible? Who, who is it that can, that can forgive sins? Who is it that can heal diseases? Who is it that you call him a savior and he's hanging on a cross? You call him your savior and he's lying in a tomb? (laughs) But what people didn't realize were these impossibilities were the very avenue through which all these other impossibilities could happen. How is it that he could die hanging on a cross? Because it's by his wounds that we are healed. How is it that he could be buried in a tomb? Because through the impossibility of a sealed, signed tomb, he could rise up in order that we might live again and have hope of eternity with him. All of these things that didn't make sense by faith become reality in your life and in mine. He's calling us to believe in the God who makes these promises who will never fail. He has never failed. He has never gone back on his word. He has never said, "Uh, you know what? Let's erase that part out of the Bible. His promises are true, and the one who promised is faithful. Any promise is only as good as the one who makes that promise. But for all of history and all of history and all of eternity future, God who promised has never failed. And even in the face of a global pandemic, He will not fail to be faithful to His people and to His promises. And when you believe that and when you see that there are no limits to what God can do through your life, that you would believe this and that you would rise in your inheritance and you would claim this and say, God, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. Here I am. I want to fall in love with you. Use my life for such a time as this. Let's pray together. Let's pray for just half a minute right now. God, would you use my life? Even right now as we sing and as I pray, would you be cultivating strange hunger within me that I would not be shackled by the expectations of people or by the hunger of those around me, but I would rise. Hungry I come to you, for I know you satisfy. Lord, give me that kind of a hunger. Lord, help me to be intentional about the people that I'm spending time with. The people that you're hanging with are either going to lift you up or going to bring you down. Who are you spending time with? Who do you need to spend time with in order for you to grow, to become the woman, the man that God's called you to be? What promises is God telling you to cling to? What promises are you about to give up on? Maybe it's about prayer. Ask, ask, ask. You'll receive. Seek, seek, seek. You'll find. Knock, knock, knock. The door will be answered. You're about to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up after year nine when the answer might be in year 10. Don't give up in year 17 when the answer might be on the other side of year 18. Keep on trusting the Lord. God wants to bless you and fill you and satisfy you so that he could use you to do the same for others. Let's pray for 30 seconds, committing our hearts to the Lord, and then I'll pray for us. And we'll close in a song.
Father in heaven, we thank you that Joshua was a man marked with a purpose, a person of destiny, leading a people of destiny. Father, show us, remind us, teach us that this too is who we are. We are a people of destiny. It's not Israel now. Today, it's the church. We are a people of destiny as we march to our promised land and glory. And you're calling us to be your agents of reconciliation, to bring others into the family of God in order that they might receive the inheritance given to all who believe in Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. So, Lord, would you help us? Father, help us. Would you do in us a work that no human can do? Would you cultivate an unusual hunger within our hearts for you and for your presence? Would you help us to hang with those spiritually that we want to become like, to receive the anointing of God from their prayers? And Lord, would you help us to see impossibilities become reality as we exercise faith unseen? Because if you're leading us to something we've never experienced before, it's because you want to do something we've never seen before. And that requires a faith that we've never exercised before. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to dream your dreams and then to be your agents in this world. We thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.